When we started this new series five weeks ago on being the church, our introductory sermon focused on the fact that being the church means or should mean being devoted. And we look specifically at Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Words. A bunch of words brought together. Many of them sounding like ordinary words. Teaching. Prayer. We probably are familiar with the phrase, as I shared in my communion meditation, the breaking of bread. And we probably think we know what the word fellowship means. But I'll give you a hint right here from the beginning. It's not just about potluck dinners now and then. You understand, don't you, that words change meanings? I think you understand that. For example, cool. Cool doesn't just refer to the temperature of something. If you're holding a bowl of soup and you say to your wife, this is cool, she's not going to say, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool too. She's going to say, okay, let me warm it up for you. But if you pick something else up and say, this is pretty cool, she'll say, oh, yeah. Or she'll say, you really think that's cool? Which is so often our case. (laughs) Words change meanings. Uh, For instance, look at the change in the word sick. How many of you, when you hear the word sick, this is kind of the image you think of? Most of us who are a little older especially. My son, Eric, when he says the word sick, it tends to be something more like this. Oh, Dad, that's sick. He especially likes the old square box trucks uh, when he sees them. Words change meaning. And the word fellowship has also gone through significant changes since Luke wrote these words in Acts. And so today, we're going to focus on just that one word, the idea of fellowship. If the early church was in fact devoted to fellowship, then I have to assume that it must be important. And it must be important that we understand what they meant by the word fellowship. Not just how we want to understand the word. And one of the things that will strike you, or should have this morning as Autumn shared the call to worship, is that as you read through the last section of Acts 2, you see how much the early church was doing together. How much time they were spending together. I don't think we're going too far to say that the fellowship of the early church was a part of their witness. I like what John Stott has written in that book that I recommended to you, The Living Church. Uh, Page 86 and 87, John Stott says, Aloneness is not the will of God, either in ordinary life 
or in the Christian life. People need fellowship. And it's God's will that they should have it. Now, hear me out. There is a big difference between being alone in a solitary way of thinking and being alone in a way in which we are spending time alone with God. Not lonely, just alone. So as we think about being the church, I think it's important for us to know that the Greek word often translated as church is a Greek word, ekklesia. It's a combination word. You know, we have combination words. Some of them don't make any sense at all. Uh, but, you know, when the two come together, somehow we understand what's meant, uh, even though they seem like opposites. Somehow they come together to form something new. In the original language, the word ecclesia is built from the preposition ek, which means out of, and the verb kaleo, which means to call. We are, in fact, the called out ones, the gathering, the place, by the way, that God has established for us to come alongside one another, the place that's to come alongside the family so that our needs for fellowship can be fulfilled. But here's my question. Is that what the church, as you've come to know it, is all about? And I don't think so. I think that in especially now the 21st century, but even in much of the 20th century, the church was more a place that you went to be entertained. Is that fair to say? Everything happened up on stage. The better the worship service, in terms of, uh, let me, I start again. The better the worship band, the better the worship service in many thinking. The more charismatic the speaker. Do you know that that sermon centers in the hands of an angry God by Jonathan Edwards? Had people shocked and stunned and motivated and changed happened as a result of it? And do you realize that it was read by Jonathan Edwards in a very monotone voice from beginning to end? That's how it was described in some of the ancient writings about what happened that day. Because they were hearing God's Word. They weren't focused on the entertainment aspect of what the guy up front was doing. What's the church all about as you understand it and experience? Now, one of the questions that John Stott asked, I think, needs to be answered. And that's the question is, are we an aggregation or a congregation? Now, any of you that have done much construction work understand that there are piles of stones out at the quarry that they'll tell you, well, that's just an aggregation. 
That's not pure limestone. That's not pure this or that. It's a combination of things that are all there together in that pile. And those elements, those different things, they never join together to become anything other than just a pile, an aggregation of different kinds of rocks. An aggregation is a group or a mass of distinct and varied things, even persons that become a collection, but a collection that is an unorganized whole. On the other hand, a congregation is that which is assembled or brought together into a body. One body. A body is such that Paul could say, one of you is the hand, one of you is the leg, one of you is the ear, one of you is... Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now our primary text for today is John 13, verses 31 to 35. The context is the Lord's Supper. In fact, listen to me. Judas has just partook of the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper. In fact, John 13, verse 30 says, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he, that is Judas, immediately went out. And it was night. And then verse 31 picks up. So after receiving or excuse me, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. What's about to take place? The arrest in the garden? The horrible, shameful, illegal trial through the night? And the crucifixion? And that is a demonstration of the power of God. God in Jesus is being glorified in that what we would think of as evil. And God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You'll seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I'm going you cannot come. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. For me, one of the hints of hope, one of the positive characteristics that I see right now in our day is the hunger among the younger people for genuine, sincere, authentic relationships. And the word that is used when we're told that the early church was devoted to fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It's a word that's based on the idea of that which is in common. A sharing. A partnership. In other words, genuine, authentic 
relationships. Now for many, fellowship has come, come to be just something you would describe as a, a subjective feeling. A feeling of warmth that's found in the presence of others. But biblically speaking, it's not a subjective feeling at all. It's an objective fact regarding what we share together. And in his chapter on fellowship, John Stott points out that as the church, we share or we hold in common three things. The first that he points to is something that I knew, but I had never really stopped to think about until I read that chapter. Have you ever thought about the fact that one thing that we share in common is in fact our spiritual inheritance? Let me give you an illustration. When my mom passed away, there was a will. When dad passed away, his will simply said, everything goes to mom. When my mom passed away, there was a will that she and my dad had agreed upon that was established. I have four siblings. One of the things that according to my mother's will, written down, was that the five of us would equally share in her inheritance that she had left. Now, none of us got rich, but it was something that we all shared equally, and we all shared it in common because we were the legitimate heirs of my mother and father. Authentic fellowship involves our recognition that as children of God, you and I are heirs and thus we share in the grace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Paul, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, could write, you share, using the word koinonia, you share in God's grace with me. John, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, wrote, What was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, and we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Koinonia. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul would also close his second letter to the Christians at Corinth by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, the sharing, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You see, this is what should make us one. A congregation and not just an aggregation. And notice, I'm stressing very carefully when I say aggregation because I know that in many cases we tend to be an aggravation, not just a congregation. One of the primary ways that this fellowship, this sharing, 
is experienced is in our participation, our sharing in the communion service. Listen to Paul's words again to the Christians at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And the Greek word that Paul used, translated participation, is the word koinonia. A fellowship. A fellowship in the blood and the body of Christ. And it should be bringing us together. Unity. The second thing that we should be sharing involves our service. In fact, looking back at Acts 2.42, when it says that the early Christians were devoted themselves to fellowship, I think it's very interesting that this is the very first time the word koinonia is used in the New Testament. It's not used in the Gospels at all. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The very first time the idea of fellowship is said is when it's describing the early church as being those who were devoting themselves to fellowship. And what did that koinonia, that sharing, that fellowship look like? Autumn read it for us. Those who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They were living in community. But not as a commune. That was a fallacy of some of those in the 70's who were reading this passage and saying oh they were just living as a commune they, they sold everything and they just made everything a joint possession no that's not what it was at all otherwise how would we have gotten to the story of Barnabas selling and giving to those who were in need and sadly Ananias and Sapphira thinking they could copy that but didn't and being struck dead because the early church still owned personal property they didn't give up personal property rights. They just sold what they had that they didn't need so that those who were in need could have what they needed. And that was in keeping with the Old Testament ideal of community equality. Of sharing with the needy so that they fulfilled Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 4 where it said there would be no poor among you. For the Christian community, fellowship and unity of purpose are constructive, but only when they're rooted in fellowship with Christ and the unity of His Spirit. The structure of Acts, if nothing else, should remind us of this. The unity of the early Christian community derives from and is guided by the gift of the Spirit. 
the gift that lies at the heart of its life together. And the Christian presence in the temple by the early church not only testifies to the fact that they were remaining faithful to their Jewish heritage, but also evidences their zeal for witness. The busy public temple was the place that they were going to tell about Jesus Christ. And their homes? Their homes were a place of fellowship, sharing with each other. And what was the result? Luke writes that the Lord was honoring that and was adding daily. Adding daily. Thirdly, I think we also need to realize that fellowship is at the heart of our mutual responsibility. If you're following along on that biblical insert guide that I provide each week, on the back of it, there's a list. It's a list of just nine of the one another passages as found in Paul's letter to the Christians at Rome. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Chapter 12, verse 10. We're to love one another with brotherly affection. In fact, it says we're to outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 16. We're to live in harmony with one another. Chapter 13, verse 8. We're to owe no one anything except to love one another. Chapter 14, verse 13. We're not to pass judgment on one another. In other words, we're not to be condemning. There's a big difference between condemning and confronting. There is a way, biblically speaking, in which we are to be confronting one another with the truth of God's Word. But we are to be speaking the truth in love. Everything isn't right. It's not just what anybody thinks. And it really doesn't matter how sincerely they think it. People can be sincerely wrong. But God's Word becomes the basis for what is right and what is truthful. We're to live in harmony with one another. Chapter 15. We're to welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. We're to be filled with all knowledge so that we're able to instruct one another. Now today, we began by reading a portion of Jesus' final words to His disciples in which He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You're also to love one another. What was new about that commandment? Didn't it say in the Old Testament that we're to love one another? Yes. You see, what was new about the commandment was not a commandment to love, but a commandment to love as Jesus loves us. In other words, we are commanded to be devoted, not to think lightly, not to every once in a while say, I wonder what old Joe's doing. But we're to be command, we are commanded to be devoted to loving one another. And when, not if, but when that takes place, Jesus tells us what the result will be. So the corollary is, is that 
If what Jesus says will take place isn't happening, it's probably because we're not loving one another the way we're supposed to. If we're loving one another the way that we are supposed to be loving one another, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples. Do those around you know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do they know that you are an avid reader of God's Word? Do they know that you are seeking God's guidance in terms of stopping to pray? I make it a point that not only do we pray at our meals no matter where we're at, restaurant, fancy restaurant, we stop, waitress is coming, she has to wait a second, but I also make it a point that when I see another family or another couple stopping to pray before they eat, if they're still there when we leave, I walk over and I say, I know you don't know me, and, but I just want to tell you how much it meant to me to see you all as a family, as a group, as a couple stopping to thank God before you had your meal today. So let me conclude with a few questions. A time of self-examination. Uh, a time of application. Are we a congregation or an aggregation? Are we growing together? Are we serving together? How is our one another? Let's pray. Father God, you have called us to be committed, committed, devoted. Not only devoted to the Word, not only devoted to worship and prayer, but devoted to fellowship with one another. Help us to figure out how we can do that in ways that help us to move outside of the box that we've already always been in, that we've grown to be comfortable with, because obviously our box has not worked. We're not growing. We're not reaching very many lost souls. Help us to re-examine ourselves. In the light of your word, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...